Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. This is part four, I think. Wait, hold on, let me count. One, two, three, four. Yes, part four of our ongoing series about Steve James' masterpiece, City So Real. Uh, great flick. I urge everybody to check it out if you haven't checked it out already. And I guess is if you're listening to this, you have seen it a few times because I've been talking about it obsessively. It's on Hulu, so you can get it at Hulu. Don't complain. Most of you have Hulu. Most of you are watching stupid shows on Hulu. So you can, you know, like take time to watch a documentary about the city of Chicago, about politics in Chicago, uh, about our insane system of electing mayors. Steve James, City So Real. Uh, And every week for the last several weeks, I've been having people who are featured uh, in the movie. I've had uh, Neil Silas Griffin, Steve James, Ricky Hendon. And now it's my pleasure to have two good friends of mine, two people who aren't afraid to stick their necks out uh, and potentially get them chopped off by the powers that be in the city of Chicago. And that would be uh, Katie Tutton and the man we call Timmy T, Tim Tutton, who are co-owners of my beloved hideout. Katie and Tim, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks. Hi, Ben. All right. Now, listen. So we're, we're going to share the microphone, as I said earlier. Uh, and uh, <laughs> an interesting experiment. Uh, let's see how this one goes. Uh, Tim Tutton is generally the people the man that people uh, associate with the hideout. He's the guy who introduces bands, uh, introduces acts like First Tuesday, Maya and myself, and before that, McDumkey. It's Tim who gets on stage. But behind the scenes, if anybody knows anything about the hideout, it's Katie Tutton who's cutting the deals, writing the checks, making the phone calls. Uh, <laughs> yeah, people don't know about that. So, uh, so we're gonna- Chicago style. You think the person up on stage is running the show, but there's really someone behind that person who's pulling the strings. That is correct. That is so Chicago. So we'll start with you, young Tim, and then we'll go to Katie. General thoughts as the brown line roars by right on time. Uh, general thoughts about City So Real. Do you share my love for it? Do you think it's a great flick about Chicago and its politics? Go ahead, I do. I, I, I love it in every way. And I mean, I am one of those people that still looks at Steve James and Cartemkin films. And I look at that, that group of people just in awe since Hoop Dreams and since The Interrupters and uh, Too Small to Fail. So I obviously I'm a lover of Cartemkin films. Um, and but to to be in a to be in a film and then to have the film come out that way yeah i i, I am what, watching it objectively i'm a big fan of it because i think they covered a lot of ground in chicago in five episodes katie your thoughts well it isn't often that i agree with tim but <laughs> i agree with him entirely today because I, i'm honored to be a part of this film and was a little starstruck to be honest with uh Steve James when he was filming us. And I think 
her usually did a wonderful job. And aren't we lucky here in the city of Chicago to have this wonderful group, Cartemquin? And yeah, I, I too adored the film. Ben. All right. Yeah. So, something, something that really impressed me about the film. I mean, I've never, I, I've been on whatever. I, I've had an interview before, but I've never been part of a documentary. And Steve and his son and Zach Piper, that was it. It was the three guys driving up in a little car with handheld cameras. And so I got to see how um, they made a documentary and how the, not inclusive they were. I mean, when they would come to the hideout or ride with us on the L or go to City Hall, they just were, you didn't, you really did forget they were there because it was just a guy with a camera, a guy with a mic, and they stood back. And so that Agreed. was really cool to see how they yeah. did the history, even though they had a camera. They were which, so is, which is one of the reasons the film is so brilliant is because you forget that they're there. And so it's really a candid, you know, and people are just themselves. And, uh, my favorite Cartemquin film is Inquiring Nuns, one of their first films. I just love that movie because what I found so intriguing about that movie was, I think it was done in the maybe the 70s or 60s even, but it showed the neighborhoods in Chicago as they were at that time. And you see just how different the neighborhoods are in the city of Chicago. Anyhow, yeah, you can never give enough love to Cartemquin in my book. Yeah, uh, and uh, the role that you played uh, in this movie, uh, Katie and Tim, uh, the little bar uh, that's in the midst of this huge economic development plan funded with TIF dollars, funded with property tax dollars, uh, that the mayor at the time, Mayor Rahm, uh, and his planning commissioner were uh, just ramming through the Chicago City Council, and they got it adopted at the last city council meeting that Rahm uh, oversaw. And the role that you played and I give you guys a lot of uh, props for this, was as op leaders of the opposition. And as such, uh, you were championing themes that like go back to Studs, Turkle, Nelson, Aldrin, Timmy, when you were going on some of your riffs, I thought, is that Studs Turkle up there? And uh, he's showing me his Studs Turkle book. Um, so talk a little bit about that, Katie, as a businesswoman. Did you have any concerns and fears? You're a longtime Chicagoan. You know how uh, Chicago could be tough with people who dare to speak out. Did you have yeah. fears and concerns that they would send the inspectors in on you, that kind of thing? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, of course, Ben. But I thought to myself, if I'm going down, I'm going down on this issue because it was so egregious. And uh, for 30 years, I worked for a not-for-profit and understand the plight of things like affordable housing the lack thereof affordable housing and the inequity that exists in our city. And I just found it so appalling that, um, that they would put this forward. And it was something that they had planned obviously for a very long time, all the way down to redistricting the ward. So this is something they had on the books for a long time. And the reason we got involved initially was because they wanted to bring in uh, Live Nation to uh, uh, build this monstrosity of five or six different venues ranging in size. I believe it was 2,500 seat capacity to 100 seat. And I just found it to be um, 
you know, wrong on so many levels. And there's only two ways to make a deal on with real estate, cheap money or cheap land. So it wasn't enough for them to get the land cheap, right? That wasn't good enough for them. They wanted cheap money too. And I was like, you know, come on. And after reading, you know, I, I knew about TIFFs and Ben, you boys educated us so well on what TIFFs are. And it was like, I'd had enough. And, you know, we have always lived in this city. You know, it's like, do you want to be loved or feared? And, you know, under Daly and then Ram, it was always fear, right? That, well, they're going to take us down, take us down on this because this has gone too far. Tammy, your thoughts? Everything Katie says, she says it clearly and eloquently. Um, I, you know, look, like you said, this has gone too far. I'm 60 years old this month, okay? I've lived my entire life in this city. And let me tell you, the guy who did the deal for Lincoln Yards, never forget this, was Ed Burke, okay? He's still a sitting alderman. And Mike Madigan is still here. It's Christmas 2020. He's still here. And there are people in this state that will say, you know what, well, let's look at the investigation of Commonwealth Edison and see what's going to happen. And we'll see if Mike Madigan really was involved. Every single person in the state of Illinois and in Chicago knows who's involved and how these deals go down. Now, a Democratic mayor, Rahm Emanuel, he decided not to run. And it's such a wonderful city. Another Democrat, his own party, had a mayor that was elected and she was coming into office. But a Democratic mayor would not trust a Democratic mayor to determine how to best spend the money for the largest tips in the history of Illinois, not just Lincoln Yards, but the 78 also. And do you know the Hilco deal to tear down that place on a Pilsen? All that stuff happened in April of 2018, the very last meeting Ron was there. But here's the thing. We're at, it's Christmas time now, 2020. Two years ago, it was Thanksgiving that they decided they were going to have to have these meetings, that they were going to have to have public input about Lincoln Yards, right? And that is where literally here at the hideout, it isn't that we wanted to be the leaders of some kind of movement. Everybody that goes to the hideout and the thousands of people that go to music and art and our community activists, everybody looked at each other and they're like, we know this is a corrupt deal. And it's almost like you feel pressured. You're across the street, you're 50 feet away from it, right? How could you not do something? So it's this combination of a lifetime of realizing these are always these dirty deals. This mayor is changing off. It might be leaving office. And at the same time, people all around just saying, like, you got to do something. Well, all of that is Chicago and all of that. That's the city so real. But it's the city so really corrupt. All right. but uh, Let me just. That's a good line. Let me just follow up, uh, Tim, to the point you made. Uh, I'm not, unlike you guys, I'm not from Chicago, but I've been here so long, I've studied it. I feel like I've gotten a, uh, a PhD in Chicago. And the typical reaction of a Chicagoan when they see a corrupt deal going down across the street from them, when they see a power grab going on right across the street from them, is to sit down with their attorney and say, all right, let me maximize what I can get out of this. 
I can't fight City Hall. I can't beat City Hall. Give me mine. And uh, so you didn't go that direction, Tim. You guys fought him. Okay. You could have taken the money, shut up, and just moved to hideout to Wicker Park with the hipsters. Okay, you didn't so take the money. Go ahead. So Ben and Katie is here to correct me on this. Don't think we didn't think about it. Don't think everybody doesn't think about it. Everybody knows this is a is a set game, right? And so you think, okay, they're going to have a big development. That means that my property value is going to go up. How do I benefit, right? You think that, but you also think that feeling that we have, the community organizer, the high school teacher that I am, the social worker that Katie is, you think like, you know, this is wrong. And, and so we like talk to some people and, and we're like, so what do you think about this? And we talked to some lawyers and we talked to some other electeds and we thought like, what do you think? And they're like, well, you know what? You got to figure out what you could do best. Right. But you know what? Katie and I and a group of other people and Lori Glenn. Hello, Lori. All right. We all started talking and we're like, you know, there's an inside game and an outside game. Right. And it's like this ain't a game, but it's like they want you to come inside and play their game. Mm -hmm. And this game is you're never going to win it because it's controlled by people that have been doing it for 50 years with millions of dollars. So we're the outsiders. We're the little rock club. Right. We got thousands of people who come to our show throughout the year. So it's like, no, there's no way. And what? We're not going inside. We're doing I, it the outside. Yeah. So I want to make a shout out. Outside. <laughs> I, I want to make a shout out to my fellow club owners. Yeah. So what happened was that the trigger that really riled us was this whole Live Nation thing. Mm-hmm. We called my we called our fellow club owners and we asked them what they thought of this and if they would join us. And they they all agreed. And again, to Ben's point, it's some risk, you know, to fight City Hall. And some of them have relationships with the mayor. And not only that, many of them um, do Live Nation shows at their venues. But the difference is they own the venues. So Live Nation would be a guest in their venue as opposed to Live Nation owning the venues, right? we had seen what had happened in other cities across the country when these big multinational conglomerates come in. So we were like, this is wrong on so many levels. And, you know, at the end of the day, the people that would end up getting screwed are the customers and the artists, because in the beginning, it looks very appealing because their modus operatus is to bleed the system. So they would overbid shows to run people out of business more or less, and then buy them up. And so it would be a short lived increase, but in the long run, it would not be good for uh, customers and or artists and certainly not for our independent venues. And it's kind of, it has a domino effect. And so once one or two goes, then it is gone. Mm-hmm. So, Beautiful thing about this scenario, Ben, is it started with this little press release from Live Nation. Tim and I picked up the phone, called our fellow venue owners and, you know, bravoed all of them to stand in solidarity with us. Um, Civil then came to order, the Chicago Independent Venue League, which now 
was kind of the foundation for the National Independent Venue Association. And as of this week, we're one of the only groups that looks like is going to be called out in some sort of um, stimulus relief because most of the, you know, independent venues, we can't go get money from, you know, well, certainly banks won't give us any money. We haven't sold a drink or sold a ticket. So the moral of the story is one little thing can lead to something much bigger and greater. And now all of us, there are more than 3000 members of the National Independent Venue Association, and we are never going backwards. We now are a force to be reckoned with. Secondly, the thing about the TIF, and that was just outrageous to me. I mean, knowing what's going on in the city of Chicago and for them to give this gift, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. You know, because now, as we see, as predicted, that they are building these bridges, et cetera, et cetera. And the city's paying for it. Yeah. You know, so the taxpayers. All right. Uh, I just want a, a full disclosure moment. Uh, <laughs> I'm just smiling when I think about this, Katie. You know, this is true. So many times uh, on Tuesdays, we did the first Tuesdays. I go up to that little office of yours. And this is during the height of all the protests. And I go, Katie, Tim. Make sure you get a good eminent domain lawyers because these pirates don't play. Remember, Katie, how many times did I tell you, get a good eminent? I was one of the guys, get a good eminent domain lawyer. These pirates don't play. I've been watching it forever. And uh, you're still there. So either you well, didn't get a good lawyer advice. or what's that? We took your advice immediately. We got a lawyer. We got a lawyer. We got a lawyer. We did exactly what you said. We got someone to protect us. And um, one of the, again, the credit, we can't really take the credit for this. It really is the citizens of Chicago. I think they just had had enough. And so when we put the call out for that first meeting, and I'm sure the city of Chicago and uh, Sterling Bay were like, what the heck? Because they were just going to have, you know, by, I, I don't know if it's by law, but they had to have a public hearing. And all of a sudden we put the call out and it was a brutally cold night, less than 24 hours. Hundreds of people showed up. And the other thing that was really great, Ben, was, okay, so we go to those public hearings and then we go to City Hall. I am willing to bet 80% of the folks that came out had never been to a city council meeting in their life. They did not understand the process. So again, once people are activated, you can't go backwards. So I look at it almost like a, um, Tim, what do you call that in school? A civics lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think that, I don't know, I, I that to me is like such a beautiful thing. And the fact that Steve James documented it, yeah. oh my God, it's icing on the cake. Yeah. All right. Speaking of civics lessons, Tim. Um, one of the, the compelling contrasts uh, in City So Real is the lack of investment in so many poor neighborhoods uh, uh, on the south and west sides of Chicago and the overwhelming amount of investment on a well-to-do gentrifying neighborhoods on the north side. That's a contrast that Steve made time and time again in the movie. And it just, the TIF program, just to remind everybody, uh, it's property tax dollars that you, the people, pay 
uh, to your board of education and your park district and your libraries and they're siphoned off uh, into special funds that the mayor controls. And uh, the mayor decided with the back of the city council to expend $1.3 billion to give that money to this developer to help uh, underwrite the costs of his development. Uh, Tim, it's got to blow your mind. You know what the property values are doing in that neck of the woods. You know that that area is already gentrifying. You know that that area is one of the flushest, richest areas in the city of Chicago. And somehow or other, mm-hmm. they justify spending public dollars on it while the rest of the city is in dire need of it. Uh, it's it's repulsive in some ways. Uh, I give you credit for speaking out about it. Talk a little bit about that. You know, I never want people to forget ever what Sterling Bay presented to show the city that it would, this was a blighted neighborhood, okay? I can tell you, Katie's dad started going to the hideout in the 1960s. Katie and I started going to the hideout in the 1980s. In 1985, when I first went to the hideout, I walked in there and I was talking to the regulars and I was like, holy shit, this would be the greatest rock club. This neighborhood's blowing up, guys. And they were like, you are the people we don't want here. That was 1985. And I was like, no, man, we're going to like... Keep it at real bar and at the same time, turn it into like art and music, all that stuff. That was 1985, 30 years later. So 30 years later, Amazon goes to, says to America, we want to build the headquarters, which was a big bullshit this, you know, this was the biggest scam of the 20th century was the Amazon HQ2 scam, okay? Telling every city in America, give us all of the demographic details and economic details you have relating to development in your city, and we will consider placing an Amazon headquarters in that city, okay? Never did it. They ended up in Nashville, Virginia, and all that. My point is, is that... Amazon requested a creative, high-density area with high economic development potential. And guess what Rahm Emanuel promoted to them? And they brought tours by. They brought them to the hideout, and they brought them to what's now called Lincoln Yards. They said, we're on the river. We're, ne- we're building the river. We're building a 606 trail. We're 20 minutes or 30 minutes from the airport. We're near the north side. We provide you with, we have high electric grid. They told Amazon every single thing that made what is now called Lincoln Yards the greatest place in the United States, better than Brooklyn, better than LA, better than anywhere, to build their headquarters. When Amazon decided, when Amazon didn't come to Chicago, because that was always a ruse, then the city had to decide, what are we going to do? So Lincoln Yards turned it into a blighted area to get a tiff. Mm. And if, okay, you, here, uh, if you look at the presentation that they gave, they showed a presentation with photographs of broken windows, of trash on the sidewalk, and construction trucks saying this is an example of how blighted people laughed at the presentation that they gave and that presentation still stands as the justification mm. consider it blighted on the north side people have known and it has been for 30 years that area has been economically developing and the tax base has been rising 
And they were able so, to win. And Katie, yeah, follow up on the Go ahead, Katie. Well, all, all I was going to say was, you know, we kept saying to city council and to the mayor's office, what's the big rush? In fact, at that time, well, uh, at that time, candidate Lightfoot even said the same thing, like, let's wait. Well, we found out why it needed to be rushed through because, you know, Ben, you can speak to this. Um one of the requirements was a decrease in property taxes and they had to show up for so many years. And lo and behold, I think it was like two months later, property taxes came out. They had increased thereby negating yeah. their legal eligibility to have a tip. And that is why they needed to rush it through. on literally Ron Daniels last day in city council was because they knew that the property taxes were going to come out a couple of months later and thereby would not make them legally eligible for the TIF. Now I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure that's what, that's, that's it in a nutshell. And they knew it. Yeah, they knew it. Yeah. No, Katie, you're absolutely correct. David Reifman knew it clearly. So this was a strategy that they came in. It was five years in the making and they, did this. They just never thought Ron was going to lose for mayor or not run. Okay. You know, one of the, uh, the most compelling scenes uh, in the movie is, has to do with, is that press conference that you, uh, you, you, you held in city hall. Uh, let's give Lori Glenn a shout out. She probably was the one to put it together. Frequent yeah. guests on this show. Uh, and uh, Lori Lightfoot showed up at that press conference, candidate Lori Lightfoot. And the thing that struck me, uh, Tim and Katie, was when I watched the movie is how everybody, almost every candidate for mayor had jumped aboard uh, the anti-TIF bandwagon. At least that's what they said, you know, publicly. It had become seen, viewed as a scam that a quote-unquote independent-minded, reform-minded mayoral candidate wouldn't want nothing to do with. Uh, And yet, somehow or other, it passed. Uh, And now we have the city saying, well, we're never going to do this again. Um, Tim, at that moment, when you had that press conference and you yeah. had all, I think every mayoral candidate was supporting you on this. I'm trying to think, I, except for William Daly, of course. Okay. Uh, except for Bill Daly, uh, whose brother invented the TIF program in Chicago. Did you actually think you could beat him? Was there a moment, Tim, when you thought we can beat city hall on this thing? Yes. I thought it was yes. so clear and so obvious. And so many people were coming to those meetings. I thought that, Yes, this mayor and a number of aldermen were going to come out and say this time, all I thought they were going to say was, let's give it 60 days till the new mayor takes office. I thought they were just going to table it and continue it for one month. And I thought that was legitimate. But it's like, why is that such a stretch to just say, this is such a big deal I mean, Tom's team themselves said, this is the biggest deal we've ever made. We can't lose it, right? And our side said, you're right. It's the biggest deal we ever made. We can't screw it up. So let's wait one month till the new mayor takes office and the new alderman, because this is a 23-year TIF. Mm. 
Why? And we, I thought, yes, definitely. I thought we're going to win this. They're going to move. They're going to table it. Katie, did uh, you think you were going to win? Well, you always go in thinking you're going to win, Ben, right? <laughs> um, I will say this. It was pretty darn close. It was much closer than any of us, you know, it, it you know, I, I thought we had a shot at it and uh, you can see why they were so uh, anxious to get it passed because they knew those increased property taxes were coming out and they had been planning this for years and years and years. And they thought, Oh really? We're going to let this little club, the hideout take us down. Um, you know, the, I, you know, it's it still, it gets me so upset just thinking about it because uh, the work that Tim has done his whole life teaching in CPS and me being a social worker, we know what those funds can be used for. And it's such a misappropriation of funds. And I forgot that I was going to say something else. Um, oh, this one, this is the thing that really got me riled up. I'm a big union supporter, big union supporter. And when all the unions came out and supported this development and they were like, we're taxpayers and we're for this. I just went methodically down the line and asked all of them, oh, really? What neighborhood do you live in? What high school did you go to? They weren't necessarily citizens. They're like, we're taxpayers and we support this. I'm like, you don't live in Chicago. You live in the suburbs. You come in and, you know, it, it, it was a great, that was almost as equal a disappointment to me that the unions would jump in behind them, you know, because of what they thought they could get out of it. And my thing was, okay, you guys, you got this big deal. You're going to build these buildings, et cetera. What if you're wrong? What if this development cannot work? Yeah. All the Walmarts that are now empty, scattered across the country. If you're wrong, you're wrong big. The, bill, the way I looked at it, as a member of the Chicago Teachers Union, who was happily participated in the takeover of Lincoln Yards during our strike, is that the building trades unions, the leadership was manipulated, as they often are, by these Republican contractors who tell them, damn it, you want jobs? We're going to do construction jobs. You got to get out there and tell them you want these jobs. And while they were doing it, we know some of these guys, some of these guys drinking up in our bar. Okay. And they always say the same thing. God damn it. We love you guys. Once the work starts, we're coming over and having drinks at your place. And we're going, <laughs> you guys, you got to step up and tell them we want 50 story buildings. We are so proud of Jeannie Gang for getting that St. Regis Tower, as it's called now, built. We love tall buildings in Chicago. We love construction. But there is two-thirds of the city of Chicago, the south and west side. And we have so much room for billion-dollar developments. And if you guys, you know, and I'm like, all you guys live in the southwest suburbs now anyway. Don't tell me you don't live in Orland Park, okay? You live in Evergreen Park if you're, you know, a contractor now. So, it's like, why don't you guys push and say the unions support these projects? We support TIFFs, but we are telling you we want this in Englewood. We want it on the southwest side. I'm like, your commute's going to be shorter. You take the Stevenson anyway, right? <laughs> so why not the southwest side? And I know. And the, the other thing is, they were shoving a $6 billion development into Bucktown and Lincoln Park. And they go, because it's jobs, and jobs will be for everyone in the city. And we're like, if it's for everyone in the city, 
then everyone in the city that's out here wants it on the south side. And then they will, their neighborhoods will trans will transform, right? Mm -hmm. They will well, be the city. Go ahead, Brady. Anyway. Okay, so there's a couple of other things, Ben, that need to be mentioned. One, there was a number of people that came to the first hearing that were not necessarily there because of our email. They were just concerned neighborhood citizens. And what I found so interesting was many of them were like, oh, my God, the reason I bought a home, a cute little home in Bucktown and paid the big money is to get away from the loop. I don't want to live this close to a second loop. So the thing is that in reality, um, my thought process was, is this going to, this is going to have the opposite effect. It's going to be too congested already. Traffic over there is crazy. Then secondly, all of the people that were coming out in support of Sterling Bay, they were, they were paid to be there, paid to be there. Our people, they had to pay babysitters out of their own pocket. They had to pay for their own public transportation or the $30 to park. Whereas these guys, not only were they paid to be their salaried workers, you know, for, you know, the plumbers or whatever, Sterling Bay bought their breakfast, paid for their parking. So, I mean, just that alone, yeah. well, if these people really are supporting this, why are you buying their breakfast, paying for their parking, et cetera? And our people you know, they, they had to take the day off work or pay a babysitter. And anyhow, so I, I'm starting to get teary eyed here again, because I just was so encouraged by the amount of effort that our fellow citizens, they came to the, they rallied behind this because they just looked at it as being so off base. And I think Steve James movie city. So real just underscored that. Yeah. Well, Here's an issue I really want to push forward, and I've been talking about it since they started planning this, all right? Mm -hmm. Sterling Bay is a private company that bought property. They can sell that property. So the city fought like hell. Rahm Emanuel and his crew fought like hell so that they could get a TIF, right? Mm -hmm. We're in crazy economic times. I mean, the, the tallest building a woman's ever built on the planet is the Vista Tower. It used to be called the Wanda Vista Tower. Then it was the Vista Tower. Now it's the St. Regis. And that's because the Chinese company that first funded that building, they had a bunch of problems. So they had to sell half to Magellan. Now Magellan owns it. Now St. Regis Hotel is in. In real estate, real, private real estate changes hands. Mm -hmm. Sterling Bay can flip that property if they want to, right? And so now another company owns it. That company could come from anywhere. Could be a Saudi-held company. Could be a Russian developer, okay? Who knows? What control does the city have over the land that we decided to divert money from children to so that that company, so that that new developer could have that? And I'm telling you, if you don't believe Sterling Bay won't do that, Two years ago today, two years ago at this time, the Chicago Tribune, Sterling Bay, the announcement that Katie talked about said that Live Nation and the Ricketts and Sterling Bay had united to create an entertainment complex that included a 20,000 capacity soccer stadium with a retractable roof. You can still see that online. You can see all that Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill design. So what happened to that? They said 
definitively, they bought a soccer team. The soccer team's moving to Chicago. They will start playing in 2021. Okay, where's that soccer team? Where do they buy it from? And when are they going to start playing? And where are they going to play? Whatever happened with that stadium? Afterwards, Sterling Bay flipped and said, you know what? Since we can't build a Live Nation entertainment complex, we're going to build a dozen 40-story-plus buildings and a 65-story building across from the hideout where that temporary soccer stadium, that little soccer field is now. So they said they want a 65-story tower. You know what they're doing now? Now they're breaking ground as we speak. And the last thing they said they were building was an eight-story biomedical technology lab. Tim, I think. They keep changing what they're doing. They do not stick with the plan that they they originally got at TIF 24. And what's to stop them from just selling it out to somebody else? Katie, go ahead. So um, I think that's the way they operate, Tim. That's how they did full market. I don't think that's necessarily unusual, really, for developers. Well, um, anyhow, um, shoot, I forgot what I was going to say. I'll come back. All right. Well, let me uh, let me ask the question I wanted to ask, and uh, I, I there's a reason I <laughs> I've been writing about TIFF deals for a long time, and they're uh, in it to make a profit. They buy property yeah. to sell property to make money. But the entire city of Chicago put mm-hmm. its life on hold on the last meeting in April of Rahm Emanuel so that we can guarantee that these private developers were able to get property cheap, get t- billions of dollars in public money so that they can resell it for a profit. All right, now, go ahead. Go ahead, Katie. Go ahead. Okay, so um, during the TIF debate, they said, well, you know, if we don't get the TIFs, the, uh, the deal's off. Right. And I said, beautiful. We'll buy we'll buy it back from you because simultaneously uh, there was the uh, what's the steel company across the street, Tim, uh, General Iron. So General Iron on that land, they were selling for four hundred million and Sterling Bay bought all that property for a hundred million. So I said, well, just have the city buy it back. Right. Because if they, you know. If they're going to walk away from the deal, let them walk, right? If they don't get the TIF, then have the city buy it back. Because to put it in perspective, the Archdiocese of Chicago sold their parking lot for $10 million. So those guys got all that land for $100 million. But as I said before, that wasn't good enough for them. So there's only two ways to make money on land, on deals like this. Cheap land or cheap money. They got the land for cheap. No, 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 That wasn't good enough for them. They wanted cheap money too. And not only cheap money, the city's money, which means doesn't go to the schools, Ben, as you taught us in all your articles in the reader. You know, that's how we all got schooled on these tips was all those articles that you wrote, you know? So anyhow, so. Well, when I was writing all those articles, just the point I was going to make, uh, and nothing would happen in the aftermath of the articles. Uh, I, I I was subjected to some uh, good nature to have that in quote taunting and teasing from the powers that be, uh, letting me know uh, how little they thought of me and uh, how easy it was to uh, squash uh, <laughs> that lefty movement I represented. Uh, did you uh, get that kind of uh, blowback, Tim? Did you get like the ROMs of the world? Uh, teasing you or taunting you or making fun of you or uh, laughing in your face 
or even if it wasn't literally Ram himself, yes, he stepped I, in the hideout. Go ahead, talk about it. Yeah, I did. And by the way, um, Lori Glenn was with me one day on the first floor of City Hall after a meeting, and a particular person did say to Lori Glenn and I some very direct things, okay? And, and so th- we got the message very strongly. You are going to lose. This is going to happen. You need to understand this is where we're going. You know? This is why they sent me here. Yeah, his line was, this is why they sent me here. This is what I'm here to do. This is going to happen. And so, and this was a guy who, this is Chicago. We all know each other. We all see each other. We run into bot. We run into people at rock shows, believe it or not. And so years go by and they're like, oh yeah, you know, we rib each other. We make, we goof around with each other all the time. If a guy can't dish it out, he can't take it in, you know, but there was a point where that same guy gave it to us real straight. Okay. And so, yeah. How, do we fear these people? Yes, we do fear them. Okay. And are they fear, fear, fearless? They are, they do it right in front of us. And so it's like, <laughs> the, 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 I had a good point I was going to make, but that was just one. I also, I had an alderman who, I have to think about every day, okay, yeah. uh, who has been pretty clear with us. And so, and yeah, yeah, so there's, but there was well, let's close with, say, ben, that was better. Right? Yeah, I, let's, let's close with this, uh, and I'll get it from both of you. I'll start with you, Katie. Future of the hideout. So right now the hideout is closed because of the pandemic. I did a first Tuesday show last Tuesday. I urge everybody to check it out. We dropped it uh, as a podcast. Uh, it's a fantastic show, in my humble opinion. I was on the stage, Katie, alone. Uh, my partner in crime, Maya, was upstairs uh, in the green room. And you know, we were talking to computers. And it was kind of sad. I mean, it was... It was kind of triumphant in a way that like first Tuesday came back, you know, and I was on the stage at the hideout, my beloved hideout, but it was sad. The staff, there was no bartenders, no waitresses, no people at the door, you know, the reality of the pandemic really hit me. And the hideout is surrounded in the meantime by this Lincoln Yards development, which will promises to be the most upscale of communities that you're building. So it's such a contrast, blowing my mind. And so the question for I have for you, Katie, is what is the future of the hideout uh, in the middle of a pandemic on the eve of Lincoln Yards? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, we've been, you know, like most of us independent club owners, we're, uh, we're pretty scrappy, right? So we were like, okay, I mean, silly things like, all right, what can, what bills can we get rid of? Okay, cut off this and cut off that and turn that off and, you know, try to minimize our bleeding more or less. And then, you know, again, to our staff who just rallied and, you know, designed different things that we could sell online. We started streaming right away. Shout out to Sully who was able to pull magically pull these things together to Elise who, you know, continued to assist us to apply. And we did what we usually do is we started to then 
uh, come together as a collective force with civil and each of us helped each other apply for different funds. We lobbied the state, the city, the federal government to try to get some relief because where some businesses, um, you know, they might've lost 25% of their business, 50%. We lost basically 90% of our business. Um, the people I'm the most concerned about is our staff and, you know, um, you know, where are they going to go get a job bartending? Right. I mean, every is closed. Now the future of the hideout futures, uh, the hideout is not going anywhere. Right there. I mean, we are going to be like, you know, the, you've seen that children's book where the buildings are built around them. Mm -hmm. I learned, um, in the last couple of years, the hideout is really not a building. It's a group of people. So even if we did ever move, um, you know, the, I guess the, I don't know, the spirit of the hideout will continue to live on, but maybe in a different physical space. And from what I've seen of some of the drawings they have now, um, what Sterling Bay is hoping to do, it looks like that we are going to be essentially the alley. So there, the, we'll, we'll get the backs of the buildings and the garages, and that's probably their uh, middle finger to us to have the buildings turn that way to show us, you know. Yeah. Tim, close it. Future of the uh, hideout. The name of the, the name of the series is called A City So Real. And the name of that series is based upon Nelson Algren's great, you know, Chicago City on the Make, where he says, you know, never you can find lovely or lovelies, but never lovely so real. You can mm-hmm. Chicago is named a city so real. And one of the reasons why we were thinking about that during the movie was that the hideout is located two blocks away from Nelson Algren's house. Nelson Algren, Simone de Bouvier, they, he, they, he lived on Wabansia Street where the Kennedy Expressway is today. Mm-hmm. And so there was a time when he lived there, he had to move so that they could build the modern expressway so that people could get to the suburbs faster. His building was literally destroyed so that they could build a high-technology, high-speed expressway so that people could shoot from one place to another faster, okay? So my point is that the hideout, like Nelson Algren's house on Wabansia Street, that house is no longer here. They put a modern entity on top of it that they thought was an improvement, and it's gone. But Nelson Algren, he lives in our heart. The spirit of, like, that city so real, it lives in our heart. And the places that Nelson Algren used to go to, he would stop by the hideout, then he'd go to Stuart Brent Books, then he'd go to the College of Complexes. The College of Complexes is one of the bars that Slim Brundage owned after the Dill Pickle Club of the 1930s that was influential in the hideout. So what I'm saying, Katie, sorry to not to talk so long, but what I'm saying is what the hideout has always strived for from the beginning is to be part of the Dill Pickle Club, to be part of the College of Complexes, to be part of the history of Chicago that has working class places that artists and communities come together. But the, and, and they get torn down and destroyed in the name of economic development. But the idea, the idea can never go away. This is the city of the Haymarket, the city of the Pullman strike, all right? This is the city of CTU, local number one. And so, so the hideout is a concept, as a historical context, that never goes away. But the sad, the sad ending of this story 
is it's going to get torn down someday. Not now. We're going to fight it out, right? But someday it's going to go away and there's going to be something different. And so our goal on this earth at this time is to keep that spirit alive and to try to always remember where we came from and then try to always push to a more progressive future. So I didn't make, I didn't write that down. All right. But that That was a riff. Yeah, that was a riff. And that is the city of Chicago, that kind of sensibility. So it isn't like Katie and I are leaders. Actually, we're followers of hundreds of years of activists who have been pushing for this. And the sad story is that here we have another situation like Lincoln Yards, okay, that comes about. But the heart and the soul of the struggle and the people that did it and were involved in it, that that can never die. So we're just going to do our best to keep that going. All right, Tim, that was a great riff, and that's a good place to leave it. As ever, a little hope. Uh, Katie and Tim, stay safe and sound. And uh, I'll be back in the hideout stage. Let's see. We're going to take January off because it's so close to, to New Year's, the first Tuesday. But we'll be back. Maya, be, Maya and I will be back in February in our little way. The hideout will live. So thank you, Tim. Thank you, Katie. February 2nd. February 2nd. Thank you very much. I told you she was the brains behind everything. She got that date in there. That's K.T. Totten. Ben, I just have to make a shout out to Gabe Wallace and the Greater Humboldt Park Sewing Circle and Media Review for listening to this show and to being so supportive of the hype. All right, very good. I, I, I appreciate the shout out. All right, that's Tim Tutton, Katie Tutton. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.